This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, and welcome to the Wednesday Twilight Show. I've taken over Wednesday once again, and tonight's going to be a really great show because we are going to be discussing teacher training and how to manage your workload and well-being so do join in the show feel free to message in any questions you may have and we will do our best to answer them this is teachers talk radio and you are listening live tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation download the podbean app and search teachers talk radio follow the hashtag tt radio tune in talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR. 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Hi Hannah, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be on your podcast today. Do you want to give us a bit of an introduction? Explain um, who you are, kind of what your background in teaching is. Okay. Um, so my name is Fazana Akhtar. Um, this is my 10th year in teaching. I am a chemistry teacher. I have also been previously a key stage three coordinator, third in charge of the science department. Um, I'm currently the lead trainee teacher and early career development teacher. So I look after the trainees and develop the ECTs um, in their two-year program that they are with the school. And I, I think we, we've, we, we're going to have a good chat tonight because I'm also um, kind of in, I've been having trainees for quite a few years from lots of different um, organisations and I've been a mentor and this year I'm a subject expert as well. So teacher training is one of those that I'm really passionate about and I think it's a really important kind of conversation to have because we've got lots of issues in terms of teacher retention at the moment I think we need to be looking after those that are coming into teacher training and I think there's there's a record uh, number of teachers that are leaving the classroom uh, with one in six leaving um, just after a, a year in the classroom so we need to make sure that we're kind of giving them the the right skills and the right advice to make sure that we're creating not only amazing teachers, but we're also having teachers that are going to stay in teaching for a, um, a long while, which would be great. Because I'm 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 in my twelfth year, and I just love oh, teaching. And I think it's it's such a great career to have. So, um, for starters, anyway. 
Um, I, I definitely agree with you. It's an amazing career and it's a career that I really enjoy. For me, all of the positives outweigh the negatives, the admin work that you have to do. And I think um, for me, I want to touch on this key word resilience, because for me, resilience as an educator has changed over the last 10 years and what resilience means to me. And I'm hoping that people that are going into their training year or that are new teachers, they can learn from my experience. Um, so for me, um, when I first started my training year and my NQT year, because it was called NQT at the time, I remember um, thinking that I just need to be resilient. Um, and being resilient means that I have to survive and in order to do that, because we know that the environment in teaching is it's very challenging and it's very there's a lot of pressure it's full on and it's, it's a demanding career but it's also a rewarding career and i remember um thinking resilient to me when i started in my career meant planning more working more hours marking more but i think after reflecting many years later i realized that's not actually what resilience actually is as an educator I realize resilience is not about being tough on a permanent basis. It is generally regarded as having emotional flexibility, the ability to work under pressure and also bounce back from after a challenging experience. So to me, resilience should help us to maintain our well-being in difficult and demanding environments. And I think it's really important that when people enter the profession, they know that yes it's important to work hard but doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a work-life balance and we all know schools and classrooms they're very demanding environments depending on your timetable um your classes the different types of students that you're encountering on a daily basis um positive resilience can help teachers to respond effectively to this and the challenges they may encounter um what does resilience mean to you, Hannah? Before I, I I'm, the next I, I'm, I agree. I, resilience comes up on my shows a lot. It, I'm, so, I'm so glad you've said that because I think it is one of those things. And I think, and I like going back to what you said earlier, is I think workload is one of those things in teachers. And we, uh, we think that if we prep and put all the hours in, then we will be good teachers. But actually, it took me quite a long time in my career to realise that actually, with teaching, we could work every hour of every day, we could work every evening, every weekend, every holiday, and we still wouldn't get it all done. And actually burning out and having that kind of not having that social life, you then kind of resent the job and and it kind of mm. breaks you down whereas I think actually kind of realizing that enough is enough doing it within your hours that you assign yourself um is 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 still going to be adequate and you're still going to deliver good lessons and actually you'll learn to adapt and be able to create better lessons in a shorter time scale um I can't remember I'm, I'm studying my master's at the moment um oh, and amazing. there's a there's a thing in it I can't remember what it's called there's a proper theory called it but it's to do with the amount of time so if you give yourself mm. an hour to get something done you're always going to take that hour if you give yourself two hours for the same task it's going to take two hours so you kind of almost need to be like right once I hit this point I need to stop in order to be able to kind of um free up your spare time and I remember um 
quite a, it was maybe my fourth or fifth year of teaching um there was an nqt that joined my school and we would all chat about him because he would work every single weekend and he dated mm-hmm. a teacher as well so they both would literally sit, <laughs> spend their whole weekends planning and we were like it's not sustainable like you're gonna have to at some point you're gonna have to learn that this isn't the way to kind of continue and it and it is it is especially in your teacher training it because there's so much to take in you want to do well and you want to do a really good job but actually sometimes less is more and kind of you're going to be much better prepared for that lesson if you had a decent night's sleep and you come in fresh and re-energized than actually kind of working like and like you said thinking that resilience is that kind of working and having everything perfect but nothing's ever perfect because the children never react how you think they're going to react and actually I think that's a bit of resilience is learning to adapt to a situation and having that ability to have something up your sleeve and be able to adapt in a situation um and always be kind of creative and and thinking of new ways and new ideas of way of breaking it down because you may think that you plan something perfectly and the kids are like what no don't get that and then you've got to kind of go backwards um so it's teaching teaching is great but it it's there's lots of different kind of things that you have to do that perhaps aren't necessarily thought about as traditionally within teaching before you get into it. I agree. Um, and also like, you know, just teaching on resilience and finding a way of life that is sustainable. Like you can have a great career in teaching, but you have to also make sure that it's sustainable for your work-life balance. And for me, like 10 years, 10 years on this is this is my 10th year in teaching and it's finally like you know I've realized to me to be a resilient educator there are four key things that I've identified and resilient educator is able to reflect so I think it's really important like you know to understand what went well what can I do better and if something went wrong that's fine because we're all learning on the job and I will say there are things that I feel like that I can still work on 10 years later and I'm always thinking how can I be better how can I reflect and I think being a resilient educator that reflects that is very important because by doing that, by reflecting, you can empower yourself and other people around you. Um, number two, um, a resilient educator sets boundaries. I think this is really important because we can't give our, like, we can't spend the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, marking, and then going into work Monday to Friday and not feeling refreshed. I think setting boundaries with your work um making sure that you understand what your own expectations are and i think when you have um boundaries that helps prevent burnout and it preserves your energy so i think that's another key takeaway to being a resilient educator number three um a resilient educator um, prioritizes the workload and i always say this to the trainees and the ects in in our school that whenever you whenever you feel overwhelmed like take a minute to yourself and think okay what do i need to prioritize you know because we all know that the checklist in teaching that is never ending there will always be more to do so um prioritizing the workload and you are able to take action and in return you will feel confident and you'll feel competent um number four a resilient educator is not afraid to ask for help. 
I think this mentality of, do you know what? I can do it all on my own. It's fine. I don't want to bother anyone. Um, you know, everybody is busy. I think it's so important to be able to ask for help and engage with the resources around you and the experience in your departments and in your school. And one thing that I've learned is resilience is the ability to thrive and not survive. I think when I first started, especially in the first three years of my career, I think I was like, I just need to survive, I need to be resilient and I need to keep pushing through. But resilience is the ability to thrive and not survive. So those are my key takeaways, I think, from um, being a resilient educator. I, I completely agree, especially that bit about it's, it's about thriving and not surviving mm. and kind of looking at it and different things and, and especially boundaries. I'm still not the best of the always ask for help, but also yes. be conscious of when you're asking for help. Don't ask for help on like a Friday after school because oh, everyone's yeah. really tired. Think about kind of when you're going to ask for help because I, I I'm 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 one of those people that don't say no and I will just help everybody. Um, oh my God, I'm as, like that I just too. can't help. <laughs> um, so and that's generally what we all like as like as staff. So I do think as a trainee, do ask for help and also get involved in the staff rooms because my school has multiple staff rooms. And when I joined this one, and I did it at my old school as well, I made myself even though it made myself a little bit uncomfortable. I went and eight in different staff rooms on different days so I got to know different members of the staff that are in different departments and they have different conversations as well about different students and, and different kind of like subjects so I, I find that really interesting um but it just meant that I just knew a more staff to be able to ask for help or ask for advice and and do go and observe people like you kind of do the learning what's quite often at the start where you go and shadow a child and go see them in other lessons and then that's kind of it but I think it's such an important thing that we need to have open doors and be if you're like I, I want to learn how to do better questioning and just email even if you emailed like an all staff email and to be like is anybody doing that this week you'll find that staff will reply and be like yeah come and come and watch me do it I'm doing it on this lesson and and kind of using that and kind of go and see it firsthand being done before you have a go because it's it, we're, we're all want to help and but there's, there's wealth of resources in school but I think people quite often get stuck in their their little department and don't necessarily go and see elsewhere oh I'm so glad that you said that Hannah because I think that is so important like to go and observe other teachers not just in your subject because in terms of for example doing a practical activity or group work I think going to art or PE, um, you know, you will see how they do it differently and maybe how you can embed that in, for example, if you're doing a science lesson and you're teaching a biology lesson and you want to do a practical. And I think we can learn from different teachers, even in terms of behavior management and also how s some students behave very differently in different lessons. Yes. Like you might have a difficult student in your classroom and you might think, well, I'm trying everything. Why is it not working? But if you go and observe another teacher, you might see, oh, they're do using a different strategy and maybe you can embed that. And I think what you said is so important, like it's so important to go and observe teachers in other departments and use the wealth of experience in the school in the department because i'm sure everybody in the school combined together we have so many years of experience that's my thing i always say go watch the catering teacher because they mm. they get knives in that room so they are on it <laughs> they're if you want to see behavior management at its best go watch the catering teacher it's always <laughs> kind of my suggestion but i remember in my so i i did i got into teaching in a quite a weird way so 
I actually went and interviewed for a maternity cover as an instructor. And that was my first ever lesson I ever taught was my interview lesson. And I got a job and I did it kind of for three years because one person got pregnant and then another person got pregnant and the first person Mm -hmm. got pregnant again. And I did my teacher training as salary directed. So I was normal teaching hours Monday to Friday, but I had observations and then the Friday would go on my course and do my training. Um, So my end my NPQ year or my ECT year wasn't um, until like actually my fourth year of teaching and I was joined a new school because nobody else would get pregnant. Um, And um, (laughs) it was, it was the second year of opening. So we only had year sevens and eights, twelves and thirteens. So they put my mentor as the maths head of maths and he came and observed one of my lessons. And because we didn't have many kids in the school at the time, because of the number of year groups that were there, they put all the kids with the learning difficulties and behavior difficulties Mm -hmm. in one class. So they had an LSA for their maths and science and English lessons, but actually they had their break when it came to the art lesson. So I had all the kids that were really difficult in one class with no help. And I remember him coming and observing me doing a printing lesson and he watched me do it. And then he went and saw my head of department and he went, I've got a whole new respect for art teachers. He went, that was utter chaos, but it was mm. such organised chaos. It was brilliant. He's like, I never seen teaching like it, but I just never have been outside of my department. And that was him as like having been te- in teaching a little while. So it's kind of, I think it is really interesting to go and see other people. And I think we stop that as well as we go in like later kind of into teaching but I think it's still something important to do so don't stop it and don't feel embarrassed or anything asking to go and view people and and don't feel like you can only do it at the start do do it throughout your year and in your ECT years as well yeah I definitely agree with you um did you do the school direct um teaching training mine was it was called salary directed yeah it was was oh I did that yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I did that too. Um, so I did the school direct salary program. So um, I did have a like I had a mentor and I had um, a PCM and lots of support there. And I remember I had these very like challenging classes, and I was like, oh my god, is is this <laughs> is this how teaching is going to be? But I remember like those kids um, that were quite challenging. I went and observed them in a different lessons, and I was like, okay, so this is the key takeaway, this is what I need to do. And I think going and observing other teachers is a very powerful. Um, also, um, one advice that I will give to ECTs and trainees is when you do have challenging classes, um, embrace it and see it as a challenge. Ask for help, but embrace it because from that you can learn so much. And when you go into your third or fourth year in teaching, those type of classes will really build you in terms of how you manage behavior, um, how consistent you are, and you learn a lot from them. Um, when I compare my set one classes, I think I had one set one class during my training year, and the rest were like lower set classes. Um, and when I compare both the classes, I feel like I learned a lot from both of them, but I definitely feel like my lower set classes challenged me more. And I was like, this is hard. But many years later, I feel like those are the classes that I learned the most from. Yeah, I think they're also the more rewarding to teach because actually yes. I find those kids that are really difficult and that, that everyone kind of talks about as, as being really difficult. Um, but actually, when you when you make the connections with them and you crack them, they it, it, and they succeed, 
it's mm. it's just really satisfying like that's one of the things that I really like about teaching is seeing the kids that everybody think is just going to fail succeed and proving that they can succeed you just have to kind of work at it and I'd say if you do have kids like that gen- generally like I, I do think it is actually across all of them if they're behaving badly there's generally a reason for it there's generally something that and it's not personal it's not you and you need to learn that Mm. their behavior the way they speak to you is not directed at you it's to do with something that's probably going on at home with their family or with their friend circle and actually they've got lots of other stuff going on and they're just kind of angry or they've got they haven't had any sleep or they've had to care for somebody at home so they've got a short thread so actually it was really go and see your senko go and see your uh, head of behavior and find out about the kids that you're having issues with um my school does like this passport where they actually interview the kids and they say a little bit about them and what works for them and what doesn't and what strategies um the kids have suggested that work for them but also their key workers have suggested um but my thing is fine just have a little conversation with them even if it's not necessary on topic and find out what makes them tick. Cause I, I had some very poorly behaved boys in photography one year and it was, um, I think it was just after COVID. So they, they'd all been at home. They'd all been gaming pretty much the whole of COVID. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was all like <laughs> one of them was basically not supervised at all. Um, and they just really struggled to come back to school and engage. So I, learned how to pay call of duty um and i was having a conversation with them for one minute at the start of the class about oh i played this this map or i i got this gun i couldn't even tell you what they are now um (laughs) but just having that one minute and they would they would be like oh yeah i did that and it was just one minute and then it was like right just kind of more like when everyone else is entering the class and also knowing that they were going to have that conversation they turn up on time they are not late to my lessons because i'll have a minute whilst i chat to them whilst everyone else is coming in and getting set up and then they're good as gold and on task the whole way through i had another kid that was quite naughty and he was really into manchester united so i would fast forward through match of the day to watch just the manchester united bits so i could be like did you see that goal it was amazing he thought I watched the whole match every week and was religiously into it. But no, I was just like kind of watching little snippets just to have those little <laughs> connections. But giving them that attention and getting to know the kids can often turn a really difficult kid into somebody that actually you can have on the side and often praise and rewarding them or giving them jobs to do, like handing out the books and giving them responsibility can actually get them on side as well. So there's quite a lot that you can kind of do. Don't think of them in a negative thing, like, oh my yeah. gosh, that that class is going to be really difficult. How am I going to like teach them or get them to behave? I'm going to have to shout at them. That there's lots of other strategies. You've just got to kind of almost misdirect it and get them back on side. Um, I think I, w- I would like to add to that as well. I think it's so important, um, positive praising students, you know, giving them the yeah. achievement points, following the school's behavior policy and being consistent with it. Like if they've done something good, we should be praising them more than telling students off. But if if they are, you know, um, misbehaving, follow the school's policy, um, give them a warning, call home. I think it's so important, especially as a new teacher and a trainee that, following through on what you said not giving out empty um saying oh you have a detention after school and then not turning up for it or saying oh it doesn't matter um you know i think it's so important to follow through 
if you're going to give them a detention or warning or even a phone call home. But having said that, I think positive praise is so important. I remember during, um, I think this was during my third year, and one of my classes, it was a BTEC class originally, it was a year 11 BTEC class. And in November, we got told um, that BTEC class is going to be turned into a GCSE class now. They're going to sit the foundation paper. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I've got a couple of months to teach the whole GCSE course. But I remember being really positive with the students and saying, do you know what, you can all do this. You're going to get your grade C's, you're going to pass, you, you are all going to do really well. And I felt like that positive reinforcement had such a big effect on that class that that class, um, they did the exam, they all did the foundation paper. So the highest that you can get at the time, because we didn't have numbers at the time, we had grades. So you can get was a grade C and that class did so well that they beat. Uh, so my class was set for, they beat the set three class and they got a positive score of plus 0.4. And I was thinking, when I reflect back on that time, I think the kids did work really hard, but I think it was just having that positive attitude, engaging with them and just telling them that they can do it because those kids they really need people to believe in them and not see them as do you know what they're the naughty kids um we just let them be i completely agree i think it, it's it's that is one of the things it's really scary as a trainee or an ect to call home mm. and speak to parents but also do the good ones like yeah. so that like by the time they've got home their parents are like oh i heard you did well or our school do um postcards but you can get your own uh, and write some positive postcards and send them home uh, make sure you put them in envelopes for gdpr and stuff but um but like praise and like, like the kids love getting them they're so excited to get yeah, kind of positive postcards and stuff and i think just to having those conversations and like you said bit consistency so if they don't turn up to a detention don't let them get away with it then call home and, and make sure that they've now got a bigger detention it's now on this day or get your head of department to support you and make sure that they're there like our school is quite supportive so if a kid misses it they get frog marched to us um so you you have to do it but it's it is really important i was just trying to look up i can't it was um there's a, a great i think it's a ted ed talk uh by rita pearson um where she talks about championing um students so if you're a trainee go watch that because her speech is amazing and i remember watching it quite early in my career and she talks about how she gets this class and it is this class of difficult kids but she's like i selected you you are here because i believe in you and i know you can do amazing and you can do great you're here because i wanted you to be and, and like and she's always had really great results and i'm quite like that with my kids i'm like yeah. my, my my results say that on average you get a grade higher than any other um subject so we are going to continue that on and i'll be disappointed if you don't so um it's, it's kind of putting that have high expectations and kids are more likely to rise up mm -hmm. to them whereas if you have low expectations of them they're going to sink down to those low expectations I think definitely, and um, for me, one of um, one thing that I find that is, that is to my advantage is so I work in an inner city school in East London in Tower Hamlets, and I grew up in Tower Hamlets, and I think and I was also educated in Tower Hamlets. I went to secondary school, I went to college in Tower Hamlets, and you know sometimes the kids ask me oh like you know what secondary school did you go to miss and then i'm like you know like i live in tire hamlets and you know and i say to them look i was one of you when i was younger and you know we sh 
and I try to see as if I can be a positive role model for these kids and they can look up to me because I was one of them once, I find having those conversations sometimes helps the students and they're like, oh, okay. And sometimes these kids, they really look up to us. They're like, oh, like, you know, Miss was one of us. Like, you know, she did it. You know, she she achieved her, like, you know, dreams and things that she wanted to do. We can do it too. And I think it's so important to be encouraging, to empower students. And we are role models to these students, like positive role models. I completely agree. I think that's also the other side of it. Don't be a big, scary, intimidating person. Mm. Make sure that they can see you're a person too and kind of let them in a little bit on on your life. Not too much, but just yeah. so they know that you're a person as well. Like I, I was quite ill last year. I um, I broke my foot and then got a DVT and a pulmonary embolism. And I'll openly oh. go to my kids like, I've, I've, the reason I've been off is because I've got a blood clot in my lungs like I can't mm. project so I, when I'm talking I need you guys to be silent because it hurts for me to have to tell you to be quiet and raise my voice and they're good as gold and they're really understanding and and kind of that kind of just being human or or being like, like I, I always say to I say to all of the kids the day that I t- before open evening I'm like right the teachers are here late we are here till like nine o'clock tonight we are hosting kind of hundreds of people for open evening you need to be good as gold for your teachers tomorrow because <laughs> they are going to be tired if you put a step wrong tomorrow that is the day you're going to get attention and quick um so like be kind to your teachers and and kind of just letting them know these little things or I'll say to the kids I'm like oh I was here till this time last night doing open evening I'm a bit tired today so I yeah. just need best behavior today and 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 kind of just being open and honest with them but they also like they like the other stuff mine always I take my kids um surfing because I'm by the coast and and they're quite oh, what are you nice. up to this weekend I'm like oh me and the, uh, miss we're going for a surf this weekend and they find it quite funny that like we actually hang out outside of school they find that bizarre that we we're not we don't sleep in a little hole in school um so <laughs> it's kind of big becoming a human to them and no and yeah and same as I'm dyslexic (laughs) as well and I I quite often make mistakes on on the board um and actually I have I have done a previous show with the English teacher that's dyslexic um and we talked about it there and like the other week she actually had a kid like quite rudely point out her spelling mistakes and it made Mm. her she took it really personally and got herself really upset um, and it's and it is really hard when we make our mistakes. We set ourselves such high standards, but like quite often, I I, I quite early on realised I made a mistake. I forgot to put an apostrophe and can't on a quiz. I printed so many of them. I was like, the first class spotted it, and I was like, oh, tragic. And then the next yeah. class, I was like, right, there's a spelling mistake. Whoever spots it gets a house point. So it's I turned my mistake into a game that they have to find that flaw. Uh, and kind of that kind of thing can kind of so if you do you are going to make mistakes like we're all human we can't be perfect all the time but you can make your mistakes kind of a learning opportunity and let the kids know that actually kind of I've done it wrong if a kid corrects you it's amazing because they're teaching you which means you're teaching them correctly (laughs) yeah definitely um also like just touching on that point Hannah um you know in regards to like making a mistake like you know sometimes I find that trainees and new teachers like if they've made a mistake or for example um they forgot something or they the lesson didn't go like you know the way that they wanted it to go or they didn't get to the plenary or there's a certain task that they didn't do they always view it as a mistake and i always say it's like that's not a mistake but even if you did make a mistake it's okay to make mistakes 
in your teaching career because you should be using these opportunities, as you were saying, to learn from your mistakes. And I think the best educators are people that learn from their mistakes and strive to be better because we should always be striving to be better. Exactly. And I I think quite often, especially when you're doing a teacher training, one of the things that tends to go wrong most is timing, that you think it's going to take a class X amount of time or you've mm-hmm. watched another teacher teach the same lesson and it takes them X amount of time and it's going to take you a bit longer because you've not quite got that skill level yet um, and kind of have not being able to adapt and then not quite getting things finished or having incomplete work. Like it, it is going to happen, um, but don't panic and then rush and then end up with lots of different incomplete stuff and the kids are too confused and don't understand what's going on. It's okay to change it you don't have to stick to the lesson plan in the lesson if you would it's better to adapt it and then to talk that through with your mentor after the observation than it is to be like right well I've got to get this done so I need to cut this bit done but then they don't have the learning to be able to access the next bit it's really important that you kind of gauge the room and you're kind of assessing as 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 you go my top tip tip and my kids I don't know whether my kids like it or they're just annoyed by it by now but I always put timers on even now I have timers on all of my powerpoints for the tasks and and you can have quite fun ones with music if you need them to do something quickly and quite honestly it really focuses them the music means that they're concentrated and they're not chatting um so something like that can just be something quite simple and it's really easy just to insert it and then you find it on the web and add in the link so it can be embedded in the powerpoint you don't have to click and lose your your stuff off your powerpoint but it's it's something that can really keep the pace of the lesson and and stop you from kind of losing that kind of that easy easily done where you kind of end up down a bit of a rabbit hole and you end up missing the bit that you were meant to do I agree. Um, I think like I think it's a, definitely a skill that I developed over time because I remember when I was new, um, I would I felt like I was over planning and then I was like getting all like you know panicked and flustered because I felt like I wasn't finishing my lesson or but constantly every time I was planning I was planning more because I was like what if the kids finish early you know and sometimes we need to know we need to understand that less is more and as you build your experience you will understand what works for different classes and what doesn't and you'll be able to adapt on the spot. I think I'm definitely better at adapting and managing my time better and you also find your style of teaching that works. Like for me personally, I love using whiteboards for a quick check um, question, check understanding um, and then I'll have my countdown by saying 10, 9, 8, 7. Um, so I find that works quite well. Plenary activity, I'll have an exam question. Um, starter is usually something that we, it's like a recap or a retrieval activity from the previous lesson. So I think um, as the years go by, you definitely you definitely find your style and what works for you and we're constantly being like you know given cpd at school and i think having cpd in school not just like you know the cpd that you receive for your training year but cpd as a whole school um i think definitely engage with that i would advise trainees and new teachers to engage with that and use that and go and talk to people that are part of the teaching and learning team you know if if you want advice on something or if you want to you know, better is certain type of practice. I think that's very important too. I I completely agree. And if if you can understand kind of 
why students learn and how students mm. learn and how to kind of measure whether it's it's gone in because uh, because that's the thing you can have very very pretty lessons with really exciting tasks in it and they're all kind of there's a difference between what there's a famous quote isn't it there's a difference between busy and learning yeah. <laughs> like they might look busy and it might be really fun but are they actually learning the learning um, everything that they need to know. So it's important to kind of gauge regularly whether they're actually kind of taking it on board and doing what you've asked or whether they just look busy. It's quite an interesting yeah, one. Definitely. No, I agree with that, actually. That is that is really um, true. Um, I think for me mainly, my main focus is deep learning. Like I'm, a, like I'm always going on about deep learning are my students like you know is the learning deep do they understand like what they are learning why they are learning and if they were given a question that's a little bit different are they able to apply their knowledge i remember like during my early years in my teacher i would spend hours on powerpoint getting the right font size making it look nice and i'm like what am i doing so after a couple yeah. of years i was like but where's the deep learning happening? You know, can they apply their knowledge? Can they challenge themselves? Can can I develop my questioning more? What can I do better to engage with that deep learning? Completely. And I think I think that's a really valid point that if you're in your when you're in your department as well, go ask the head of department what what is the key concepts that they're trying to get the students to learn because this is actually I'm, I'm, I'm dropping them in what Ofsted will do so they will yeah. go to the head department ask what the the key concepts are for that subject they'll go then go and watch the staff and ask the staff what the key concepts are then they'll go and ask the kids separately what those key concepts are and they'll ask senior leadership and make sure that whole chain and potentially you guys as well um are all on the same page so it's really important that you're all kind of got a central kind of kind of yeah. idea of what it is that you're wanting them to learn and what you want them to kind of essentially leave key stage three with because some subjects they're not going to continue with so what do you want what do you want them to take into the wider world and I think it's it that's what embeds the learning is if you can get the kids to understand the point of what you're trying to teach them and give them a bit of a wider context into the outside world and kind of it give them an idea like we're going to be learning this because this will help with this or uh, I quite often go off on a tangent with like but what about this and, and kind of give them mm -hmm. deeper questions and flip questioning and and get them to have really good debates and conversations about things because they're the lessons that they're going to remember they're gonna be like oh, I remember that time that I talked about that that was really interesting and and it's kind of you've got to, you've got a don't always stick to the script like if something pops up and a kid asks an interesting question that's kind of looking at it from a different angle don't be afraid to kind of um do that and i think question questioning is quite an interesting one um kind of moving on to that i think questioning's become very big in teaching over the last few years in terms of kind of how to do it properly and i guess it's we're, we're kind of more questioning aren't we nowadays to check the learning but do you have any good ways that you do that with your with the type of questions you're asking? Um, so the type of question that we um, really like doing is Socratic questioning. So making sure that the questions aren't just closed questions like yes or no questions or one worded answer. So Socratic questioning is like asking them a question and then building on that question and, you know, getting more deeper into the content and the topic that we are talking about and also we do this thing where we do like we pause we um 
we pause for a second and we discuss like the question that we're talking about we think about it sorry and then we bounce the question to different students so one student will give an answer and then we'll be like to another student okay can you expand on that what else can you tell me about that and then by the end of it we have a really nice um structured answer yeah i i actually did a very similar one when i was training mm. i couldn't remember how to do it so i wrote on pieces of paper and stuck them on the wall at the back of the classroom so the kids couldn't see them but I saw them when I stood at the front yeah. and they said A, B, C so the kids didn't have a clue what they meant but for me it was add, build and challenge so I'd ask ask a question then I'd get the next person to add to it and then I would get ask another question get them to build on the can they rephrase mm-hmm. that answer or build on it or add some better descriptive words to that answer and then the challenge would be the flip question at the end so but I really, really struggled to be able to remember that so I put it up on the back of my wall just to remind me so don't be afraid of doing stuff like that as well Um, even to add to that Hannah like you know sometimes like I write down questions in my notebook like and I will say to all teachers like don't be afraid to like you know write some questions down in your notebook and take that to your lesson because that's fine you know um and from those questions you can ask the kids those questions and you might even come up with even more better questions um yeah and it's and it's good to retrievals um is something that everyone will learn about it's very again something that's become very big and that idea of kind of linking into previous learning re-quizzing them on previous topics so there's that flow they're not forgetting stuff that they learned last year that you're still linking it in like for, for me for our, I'm I'm very knowledge focused even though we're a practical subjects so my kids all learn their color theory so there's no kid in my school that is coloring for the sake of coloring they are picking colors because they work well so they're either picking complementary colors so they make it stand out or they're making harmonious colors because they blend well together they're not selecting colors randomly they every child in my class in any year group you could go in and ask them why they're coloring in those colors and they'd be able to tell you and and that's the kind of level that you want you want high standards and you want your kids to kind of have this key knowledge but you need to be able to kind of put that into all of your lessons so it flows and links in and you've got if you can work out what your their their prior knowledge is so that's quite important because you if you're going in and taking over new class learn what they already know um Mm -hmm. is quite important i think um i agree um also like you know when it comes to questioning there's so many different ways of doing it and sometimes um i like using my whiteboard so um Sometimes I'll have MCQ questions, so multiple choice questions on my PowerPoint. And and then I will ask them, is it A, is it B, or is it C? And that seems like quite a simple task because sometimes what I've noticed is someone's writing down B and then some of them are having a little quick look around and then everyone's got B. And then you're just like, okay. So I was thinking, okay, how can I improve that practice? Because everyone, like, like are they copying each other or do some of them know it maybe some of them are confident maybe some of the others aren't so what i try to do is sometimes if the answer is wrong um i will say to them why is the answer wrong and how can we correct it and by correcting it that's them thinking more deeply okay that answer is wrong because of this reason and this is the correct way to do it because of this reason and this doesn't make sense so that challenges them to correct their mistakes completely and i i I would say my big thing that i tell my trainees i know it's art but i know of other subjects that do this as well is is to get the scheme of work and do it yourself 
so do the lesson before the lesson so you have a you have an example so you can show them mm. like oh this is what I'm expecting but also if you have a go at doing it you're likely to learn the mistakes that they're going to do so you can you're better than equipped in the lesson to be able to correct it because you're expecting them things to go wrong because you did them wrong uh, we have a great maths teacher who used to do um the math he had a math book and he would do all the math problems along with the kids under the visualizer so they could see him doing it but he would have them all in there so he'd have the one that he would do with them and then he'd he would have the other ones kind of ready in there so he they, he could show them how he did all his workings out and could show kind of his strategy within it so i think it's it's quite it's, it's definitely one to it's quite time that's the only time consuming one i would i would say is kind of worth putting time in is kind of have a go at doing the lessons because then you're going to be better prepared in the lessons if you've already done it beforehand yeah definitely um also like you know just um touching on what you said about the math teacher using the visualizer and doing it um live step by step with the class i think um modeling to students is so important yeah. like modeling like what a good answer looks like and explain going through it with them step by step and you know like i think when we model answers and when we model a question and then we answer it together as a class it allows the students to feel more confident in themselves and then when you give them a similar question or something that's a little bit more challenging they can now follow the model in order to answer that question. I think modeling is very important, um, especially doing that as a class and getting the students used to that practice. Exactly. I think that's really important. Right. We're going to play our news and find out what's going on in the teaching world this week. Okay. And then we will chat some more. So if you've got any questions you want to ask us, feel, feel free to put them in the chat and we can answer them as well. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. A record number of students from disadvantaged backgrounds have applied for the most selective UK university degrees, says a report on the BBC News website. The report is based on data released by the Universities and Colleges Admissions Service, known as UCAS. The students have applied to Oxford and Cambridge and for degrees in medicine, dentistry and veterinary science. UCAS Interim Chief Executive Sander Crystal 
described the applications, which have an October deadline, as encouraging. The Sutton Trust charity, however, said that the advantage gap had hardly shifted. The data is based on a participation of local areas measure, which splits students into five groups based on how many people aged 18 and 19 in their area go on to higher education. Those from areas where the fewest numbers of young people go to university are classed as the most disadvantaged. Applications for this group are up by 7% since last year, in contrast to the most advantaged areas, which is up by only 2%. However, the total number of applicants from the most advantaged areas is over 17,000, compared to a little over 3,000 from the most disadvantaged areas. Other key findings from October applications include a 6% increase in the number of UK applicants receiving free school meals, although the overall numbers of those receiving free meals is on the rise. A drop of 7% a year in 18-year-olds applying to medicine degrees and a slight drop in total numbers of international applicants. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan was in the news again this week as she told English schools that parents have a right to view the sex education materials which are being taught in schools. The announcement comes as the government is due to launch a public consultation into relationships, sex and health education. Guidance has been in place since the subject became compulsory in primary and secondary schools in September 2020. But Miss Keegan said she wanted to debunk the myth that parents cannot see what their children are being taught. Jeff Barton of Askell said he agreed with transparency on RSHE materials and that this is key but that sending the letter when some schools were on half term was slightly odd. The BBC also reports that Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, has been accused of misleading the public about the risks of social media and of contributing to a mental health crisis amongst youth. The claims were made in a federal lawsuit in the United States, but many in other countries will be following with interest. The lawsuit accuses the company of ensnaring users whilst concealing the substantial dangers of its platforms. It also said that the company had collected data on children under the age of 13 and that this breached the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. Meta is contesting the lawsuit and will likely present research it says shows that teens say social media actually helps them when they are struggling. It's not the first time social media companies have faced lawsuits, but it is the first time so many attorneys general 33 in total, have signed such a suit, in addition to those already filed by families, young people and school districts. Those working with children and young people in the UK will undoubtedly be interested in the progress of the lawsuit. Dyslexia Scotland has announced on its website that former Strictly Come Dancing winner and Dyslexia Scotland ambassador Hamza Yassin will talk to an audience as part of Dyslexia Awareness Week Scotland. Yasin, who is dyslexic, became an ambassador for the charity earlier this year. He says he is passionate about sharing his story during events held in the first week in November. In a week where The Guardian reports that more than one million UK children experienced destitution, their families could not adequately feed, clothe, clean or keep them warm. The BBC covered a story of a primary school in Peckham where most children are homeless. The school has nearly 300 pupils, all of whom receive free uniform trips and meals. 
The school conducted a survey in which most families described themselves as living in non-secure tenancies. This can mean sofa surfing with friends, living in B&B accommodation or living in hostels. Parents of children at the school spoke positively about the support they received from the school, but also focused on the toll the uncertainty took on them and their children. Meanwhile, the Guardian tells of concerns expressed by poverty campaigners, teachers and welfare workers about the damaging effects of destitution, including physical ill health, mental illness, school absence and poor behaviour. Both articles can be found online and give more details on the latest findings. Finally, Schools Week reports that as many as one in 10 school workers had to wait over 60 days for DBS checks last year. A Freedom of Information request showed that 2.5% of those submitted took more than 60 days to complete, more than triple the rate in 2021 to 22. Jeff Barton of Askell says it all adds to the pressure that school leaders and teachers face in recruitment and reflects the widespread underinvestment in public services. A spokesperson for the DBS said neither Ofsted nor the DOV have raised any concerns about delays. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Linking in with the news there and um, them talking about dyslexia in Scotland, I think it is really important to know your students' learning needs, but also that's one of those things that it's it's quite a big task to know them all. Um, and you get different students each year as the groups are swapped up and that's another set that you have to learn mm -hmm. and know all of them. And nobody's expecting you to be an expert in dyslexia or ADHD or these different learning needs very quickly but do establish the ones that are, that need the most help first and kind of speak to your Senko is gold because they yeah, will know definitely. like what will help them, but also kind of what will help one will help most. Um, mm -hmm. Quite often, like we, we, a lot of ours have do now and do next tasks. So um, either on their whiteboard, we write what they need to do now and then what they need to do next. So they know the steps or um, I quite often, uh, I'm just a visual learner. I know learning styles don't exist, but I still believe in them. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. It's my, co my t t controversial teaching opinion. Um, so I quite often have like step-by-step -step, um, instructions and then I'll have pictures next to them as well. Um, and then I also quite, I, I record myself a lot. So I record all of my demonstrations. Um, and then also it means that if kids have missed the lesson or I've got kids that need to watch a video, more, a demonstration more than once to be able to understand it or they can pause it, um, then they have that opportunity to. And I've built this bank of resources as I've gone through the years because each year I do record a different thing. Um, but it's kind of what will work for one generally works for a lot of them and low ability students will it, it will help a lot of the students the scaffolding that you put in so don't feel like you only have to do it for that one student do you feel like you can use it across the classroom i think that's quite a common misconception that is kind of you just do that for that one student but actually it will benefit them all um, yes, I agree with you, um, Hannah. Um, also, like, you know, when you said that the Senko is gold, like, it's so important to use, as I was saying before, the experience, like, you know, in your school. So, the Senko, and also reading the education healthcare plans of the students, because they are available to us. And on the plans, you will see, you know, um, what works for the students. And there's like, you know, advice and tips on what you can do in your classroom. 
and usually um in our school we have like designated like um teaching assistants that will yeah. come to support um students and i think one thing that's really important is use the member of staff in your room you know they are there to support that student or maybe a group of students and i think it's so important that you know um sometimes what i like to do is like before the lesson starts quickly like you know have a quick catch up with the um, teaching assistant or sometimes when i see them in the school or at break time or like sometimes i will go find them and i'll have a quick catch up or oh, this is what i would like you to do or when they come in i'd be like okay this is what i would like the kids to focus on if you can help me out with this and i think it's really important like the teaching assistant they're a resource in your room like yeah. a valuable resource and it's so important to use them and i know sometimes you know when they go into different subjects that subject may not be their subject like science might not be their subject so you know i do things to help them out as well so sometimes i'll have like mark schemes or some sometimes a list, things a little bit broken down how i want them to explain it to the students um i think that really helps and they're quite good to go and talk to if you've got issues with students because mm -hmm. they'll be spending quite often whole days with them um and they'll be able to kind of give you an idea about um kind of strategies or which lessons to maybe go watch them in um as well it's quite an interesting one um we've got a question for you what is your favorite part of teaching oh okay so what's my <laughs> okay um so i think my favorite part of teaching is and there's quite a few things i think knowing when you're teaching and you know that you're educating students and that group of students that you know that are finding things difficult to understand or they might have SEM needs or different types of needs and when they get it and having that I guess that light bulb moment and they they're so happy they've got it and and they've done really well I think seeing those moments as well as when I'm helping a exam class like my year 13 chemistry class and my year 11 GCSE exams and we're pushing right through to the end of the exam year and they're, they're coming into my revision ses sessions early in the morning with my year 11s um, I have been known to be the teacher that brings in the students 7am in the morning um, for revision lessons but knowing that we're all in it together and we're striving for those great marks and pushing them I think that's really great um also like you know on results day when they get amazing grades and they've yeah. made it and they send you those emails or they write you a card and they say thank you miss for everything i couldn't have done it without you um there's quite a lot of things i think something that's really close to me is um as i said before i work in a school in in inner city london in east london in tower hamlets and knowing that i grew up in tower hamlets and i know the challenges that the students face in it's, it's a deprived area and knowing that i'm giving back to the community and i'm helping the future generation in that community to strive for success to strive to be better and to want more so definitely that I can go on about this, but I'll stop there. <laughs> um, we've got a couple of other bits. Lydia, Lydia's put a good point in. She said about um, talk to other teachers about students as well and see if there's any interventions or anything they're doing that are working. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Because um, I, th I think that's quite, because quite often you can feel like, oh, I'm struggling with that class. Like it's just me that's struggling. But actually other teachers are as well. And actually we all struggle sometimes. And sometimes it's nice to chat to other people about it. 
it's definitely sharing practice you know how you were saying before like and that doesn't need to just be in your department it can be from other departments um finding out you know what works for them with that particular student and then you might want to embed that into your lesson i think that really helps and we've got another question how um do you think teaching has changed you as a person it's a good one oh that's a really interesting one um i would say yes i think it's definitely made me um more confident as a person um it's made me um i don't i don't know how to explain this it's quite um that's a really interesting question actually i feel like teaching has made me find my voice because i think when i was a student myself i think i was a little bit more shy quiet and when i became a teacher like you immediately i think teachers are really good teachers are very good actors because even if we're nervous we can't show it we need to be up there in front of 30 kids and we need to make sure we're being confident i think in terms of my confidence it's really helped build my confidence and also help me find a voice i think um from going from a shy student to being in a classroom as a teacher and i think also um touching on how i said it's helped me find a voice i tend to find that sometimes our female students are a little bit more quieter because i work in a mixed school compared to the boys so it it allows me to think okay do you know what i need to ask them questions and i need to make sure that the boys are not taking over the whole discussions um makes me think about who i ask my questions to but i definitely said that it's made me more um more confident as a person I, I I would agree. I think that's my my thing is that I've I found my voice and my place to have my voice, and mm -hmm. I've become more confident and more resilient. Like I'm quite a strong like this. It's, it takes a lot to knock me down. Like I'm quite a confident yeah. person, but also that that's that funny side and that interaction. Like especially with art, when we get onto GCSEs and they get to pick their own topics, and they quite often pick something that's quite they're passionate about, whether it be women's right or gender mm -hmm. equality and and having that place where the kids find this safe place to kind of talk to you is really interesting. I got I actually got a Christmas card year before last from one of my year 10 students saying that she found life quite dark, but art was yeah. the light and art mm -hmm. made she hated coming to school, but if she had art then mm -hmm. day, coming to school was actually not so bad and just thank you for teaching me. And by the time she left year 11, she was she would come to every after school and hang out with me after school. And she just became this really bubbly, intelligent, well-spoken, very argumentative, but I love that about her, <laughs> um, confident kid. So from going through this, from when I started teaching her in year 10 to like not wanting to come to school, she would constantly truant to being this kind of confident kid. And I remember her mum coming up to me at prom and going, you changed her life. You made mm. her so confident. And she was like, "If I don't know what would have, she would have ended up like if she didn't get you as a teacher. And it, and it is those, the, those little things that kind of can make a difference. And you know that you're in the right place. Like I, I fully, fully believe that I am in the right place doing the right job. Um, Oh, there's some good old questions coming in tonight. If you could change something in edu in the education system, what would it be and why? Um, am I allowed to say the admin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god, um, I think in the education system, I think, I think marking the admin side of things. I think if we can have more support on that, that would be great. And 
also um i think sometimes we focus so much on exams 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 but learning should always be fun and encouraging and it should inspire but we always have this we always feel like we're always pushing towards that and there's so much pressures on teachers to get those grades you know and yeah. if they don't get those grades what are we doing you know what can we do better what can we do more and i think um i think having um having more time um also like someone people not putting so much pressure on us and telling us that what we're doing is enough because sometimes in teaching it can feel very overwhelming and it can feel like you're not doing enough but you are doing enough yeah and that, that goes back to the idea that you can always do more you could fill every minute of every hour mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be enough with teaching um i think if i could change anything i don't know whether this would count I would like to change the public perception of teachers because mm-hmm. I feel like it's quite a thankless job and we're quite often slagged off in the media that we're, we're not doing enough. We're not, we're not, we're, we're kind of expected to be parent, teacher, counsellor, mental health worker, careers advisor, mm-hmm. all, all in kind of one place. And, and it is a lot for us to do. And you, you can take that home with you as well. And that's quite difficult. You've got to kind of learn to leave it at school. Yeah. Um, but I do think it is it is a little bit thankless and it's like, oh, well, you've got so many weeks holiday. But I like to put it that if you think about it, if you're in another job and you were doing a presentation, you would kind of prep like a whole week for one presentation. Definitely. We do five of those a day and we whack them out like that is intensity. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy job, not by a long shot, but, if, it, but it is one of those that is really rewarding. Um. What do you think the greatest challenge facing students are today? I think um, I think having I think there's a lot of challenges actually. I think mental health um, yeah. is a big challenge. Like you know, students they have they, like I can say definitely compared to years ago. Now we've got so many platforms that support students with their mental health, their well being, and there's counselors in schools to support students. And I think one of the things that students are really struggling with right now is that pressure, whether that's that pressure from home or pressure within themselves to do well, because constantly, you know, and I'm not saying like it's the education system or it's their fault, but there's that constant pressure of you, you need to be doing this intervention to be doing this, you need to be doing this, you haven't met your target, you know. Um, I think mental health is one of the greatest challenge that students are facing. But I would like to think that there's better platforms out here and there's teachers and counsellors to support students. I think it's the same that there's a lot of post COVID, there's kind of the kids that were quite insular that isolated themselves that didn't really thrive didn't really Mm -hmm. do the work either because they weren't in a home where parents supported kind of education and independent learning and those kids have now come back and they're against the kids that have done the learning and they're now Mm -hmm. trying to do the the learning that was way in front of them but they didn't learn the other bit properly because they didn't do it for like a year and we're now really seeing the repercussions of those gaps so it is it is much harder to teach I think now than it than it ever has been because there is just such a vast gap that the lower kids can't necessarily access the learning because they didn't learn didn't have Mm -hmm. that time in primary school to do reading and writing and and those things are really it having an impact 
all these years able to catch up and I, I don't know what the answer is for that because you can't slow down the ones at the top but you've got to try and catch up the ones at the bottom and those are the ones those are the kids that perhaps aren't behaving as well because it's easier to misbehave and misdirect and get kicked out of the lesson than it is to admit that they can't do it um so it's sometimes thinking about um that as well Oh, I, this person's got a coded name, so I don't know who it is, but they've said that they talked with you for a while and you're oh. an amazing teacher. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go back to one of our things that you actually mentioned earlier. Um, so th this made me think, so I had a little Google in the, the break. You said about um, kind of your prioritising things that you should do kind of work-wise. Um yes. And I, I I joke to my trainees that I'm like, I don't have a to-do list. I have a to-do book. Like I have a full-on book and I write my to-do list in. And then I when I get to a point, I then transfer the ones I haven't crossed out to the next page and go again. Um, so I have a to-do book that stays with me kind of all year. Um, and um, this um, in my master's, I've learned about the Eisenhower matrix. So this is four boxes and um it should be across the top on the outside you have urgent and not urgent and then mm -hmm. down the side you have not important important so if if something lands in the important and urgent box you do it first if it lands yeah. in the important but not urgent then you schedule when to do it mm -hmm. if it lands in the not important but urgent box then you should delegate it to somebody else um, <laughs> if it's in the not important and not urgent you should delete it um, so it, that's quite a good one in terms of if, if kind of I quite often do that. I have my to do list and I highlight the things I need to do urgently. Then I need to highlight the things I need to get done by the end of the week. And mm -hmm. then I highlight the things that kind of I care about and I really want to get done. But like, don't forget them. So. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of one of Hannah, that's quite a good one. Do, do you know what, Hannah? I think we're very similar because I love my highlighters and I do exactly <laughs> the same thing. And you have to because the checklist in teaching will, will never get finished so you yeah. have to prioritize like what's urgent what can I delegate um and I'm and I love my highlighters and I love a good tick like if I've ticked it off I feel like I've got like happy chemicals being released and I'm thinking okay that's done um we've got a question how do you keep things fresh now this is this is quite mm -hmm. a, a controversial tip that I'm going to say so okay. uh, if Art, we quite often teach the same lesson so we'll we we I, i've got kind of four year seven groups so i'll teach the same lesson all week if i have a particularly weak group i will make them purposely a week behind so i get to do the lessons with the more able groups so therefore i'm able to develop the resources during their lessons take pictures of their work as great examples so when it comes to the other group they've suddenly got all these extra scaffolding tools rather than going in with the hard group, really struggling with them, not getting them to where they need to be. And then like being a little bit disheartened by my lessons or actually then putting all the effort into this, this other group and then they're miles ahead. Um, so that's, that's my yeah. like, little sneaky thing that I, I, t I, once I clock that, I was like, Oh, actually I'm in control of this. Like they'll just, I always have, I always have in my schemes of work, uh, uh like, extension slash bring it out if I'm sick cover lesson that kind of and also especially with bank holidays and teach training days the left the groups don't finish at the same time anyway so mm. it, I'm not putting them at a massive disadvantage by just knocking them back a lesson compared to the others but I would say like 
kind of if you especially when you get into your ECT years and you've got your your full control of your timetable I would go in with your kind of your best group first because they're going to tell you everything that's wrong but in the nicest way and they're going to give you really great kind of examples to be able to help you with your other lessons yeah um um, I agree um so in regards to keeping um things fresh so we have like you know we've been working um for um five years now on our curriculum developing the science curriculum and you know different departments have been developing their curriculum in their departments as well so we all have like set powerpoints that we are you know that we have to use so one thing as a department that we do to keep things fresh is we're constantly reviewing those um reviewing those powerpoints those practical science experiments that we have done what went well what what can be better so i think instead of reinventing the wheel or making new powerpoints all the time or new resources what we like what we do to keep things fresh is um just go back on it what can we improve on it what didn't go so well but not reinventing the wheel um another way that we keep things fresh is um Whatever we learn in the whole school CPD, if we've got like a teaching and learning um, agenda, so for example, if it's on questioning, how how have we embedded questioning in those PowerPoints, in those resources? Are those questioning effective? Are they better? And I think it's really important, like, you know, as teachers, we don't have much time, but I'm very big on not reinventing the wheel always work with what you have and make it better every year reflect on it don't just open it up use the same thing make it better and i think that's how i've developed as a teacher definitely with my year 13 um a level classes and my gcc exam classes and especially like that's a misconception of teacher training you don't have to like create every lesson there's so much resources out there and and go get involved in cpd we've got um mm-hmm. we've just combined our our um kind of areas we now got uh teach talk meets so these are free cpd events that you can go to um by or and some of them are online so you can go and listen to other experts and quite often they'll share materials and share examples so don't feel you have to reinvent the wheel um but also in terms of keeping things fresh I quite often bring in stuff that's happened in the news and I will like Mm -hmm. throw that in as a different like oh you guys has anybody seen this did anybody see that this happened this is like this and we kind of flip it and and do that and I think um especially like uh, one of our sponsors the day um my school used that and that I can go in that and I can search for an article and I can add that in um so you don't have to spend hours on resources um Mm -hmm. but you can kind of use that use what's out there um and learn how to kind of enhance yourself by uh kind of immersing yourself into cpd and other other great talks um by other great events teacher um, talks oh, events they're they're, they're yeah. it's expanding there's going to be loads more so um come get involved in those um, they're great also hannah just to add to keeping things fresh it doesn't mean that you're doing it on your own like you're adapting resources on your own work together as a team i think working collaboratively is such is so powerful because everyone has different ideas but when we work together we can make those ideas greater um what we've got we've got um if you could add an extra role or type of job in a school what would it be Oh, um, that's a <laughs> some admin team that does all the marking. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like mar- marking is one of those time consuming things that takes up a lot. And it, it, it is getting better, I think, as we're going through. But one thing I would say is I had a trainee a couple of years ago and she was like, I need to mark something for, for my assignment. I need some evidence to show I've marked something. And I was like, why are you marking it? And she's like, because I need to tick something for your, my assignment. I was like, well, if you're going to mark your group, we're all going to mark them. So you can't mark one year seven group and give them feedback without the rest of the year seven having yeah. the same piece mm-hmm. of work marked and getting the same feedback. So whatever you're marking, we're all marking it as a department because we're not feedback. So we're all going to do it. So it has to be for the students. So this is my big rule in teaching is does it benefit the students? If it doesn't benefit the students, don't do it. So if you're like marking for marking sake, like three weeks later and they did it ages ago and actually they're going to have forgotten, it's not going to help them to have like a red sentence in their book. Does it help them? How does it help the students? Mm-hmm. Is it worth it? And think about how you can do it in a timely manner, I think is so um, important. And actually it made her go, oh, okay. Right. So I need to pick something that, that the kids are going to is going to improve the kids work. And it's not like and it changed the way she thought about kind of marking. So definitely think about that. I'm a big um, fan of kind of like whole class marking. So kind of picking out a, like a, a 10 books from a class, looking at them all, writing out the general misconceptions. I quite often I've had now at the point because I've been doing it a long time. Um, For some of mine, I write all the misconceptions on a little um, grid and I print them out and I staple them into the books and then I just highlight which ones. I even get my technician sometimes to staple in the books if I'm if I'm doing a a whole load in one go. Um, And like literally, I just highlight the boxes of the kids that are missing, um, what the kids need to work on. So they're getting individual feedback, but it's based on kind of the general misconceptions across the class. Um, so work smarter, not harder. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, I would like to add to that as well. I think um, when like when you go into a new school and you're a trainee or a new teacher, I think it's, every department has a marking policy. And in our school, we every department has a marking policy and that looks different. And I, and I really like the fact that you said, um, is the marking benefiting the students? That is very important. Like, what are they going to take back from my feedback? You know, if I've given them five out of six for a question that I have marked for them, but what are they getting back from that? Are they just getting five out of six? They've got, you know, five out of six, six out of six. But giving feedback is very important. Okay, you can improve your um, question further by you missed this out. Can you answer this question to make your answer even better? I think peer marking and self um, self assessing using green pen is really important. Um, that also helps, and it also helps the students as well to identify what they have got wrong and what they can improve on. Exactly. I think I think like if you're going to do like a little quiz, you can get them to self mark it and then be like, right, who got question one right? Who got question mm-hmm. two right? Who got question... and you can very quickly see where the misconceptions are in the class, and then that should be your starting point of what you need to change or adapt in the class or do an exit ticket or, or get them to answer a question on their way out and then you know kind of how many of them are getting it right and like kind of if you do it quietly and you call them up one by one by the door so that they kind of can't hear each other's answers but you can kind of get a gauge of whether yeah. they understood it or whether you 
did they miss it and actually need to redo it? And that, that's fine as well. We're not perfect. It's fine for them to not quite get a concept and have to redo it or do it in a different way or kind of recover it. Like it, it's never going to be perfect. And some classes will get it and some classes won't. Like every class is different. You can absolutely nail it and be like, oh, that was beautiful. Teach the same lesson to another class and it go terribly wrong. Um, so it, it's it, every class is different. Yes, um, I agree. Every class is different. Do we have more questions, Hannah? Uh, well, I forgot. What would you do if you had a difficult, um, where is it? Difficult teacher or TA? Um, how would you approach that? Okay. okay. Um, having difficult conversations um, in a workplace. Okay. So, what I would do personally is I will have a one to one. Um, you know chat with that colleague and um it depends on what the situation is and that will be like a informal chat and and also like you know if there's areas that they can improve on it depends i guess what we're um discussing what the what, what we're talking to this um teacher or colleague about that's difficult um so for example if it was a lesson that didn't go too well or something happened in the lesson and this has been happening continuously what i would do is i would have an informal chat and just find out from them if something's going on and how i can support them and then help put in action plans and then after what i will do is i'm just using um observing a lesson as an example then go observe them see how they're doing check in with them but if it's continuing and they are being difficult or things are not getting done, then, um, you know, I will have a formal meeting with them, with their line manager. And I think it's really important that we're supportive, we give people um, chances, but also whenever we need to rein it in or get someone else involved or have a formal discussion, that's really important to do as well. I think it's one of those, if it, if it's um, like another member of staff or something, it's mm -hmm you don't know what that person's situation is they might have stuff going at home exactly. and actually they're just really struggling and then not being short on purpose they're just having a difficult time so try not to take it personally um if it's oh i always say like kill them with kindness always be polite um but also kind of email and or follow up with an email so if you've had a conversation and maybe you weren't quite overly happy they weren't maybe taking what you wanted them to do on board i'd maybe follow it up afterwards and be like oh um it was great to speak to you after the lesson um thank you for assisting it'd be really great if you could do this next time and kind of and then you've got a paper trail as well if they if, to, if they then repeatedly don't follow your instructions um that you kind of have really tried in a nice way to say can you help me with this or can you do this or kind of things like that so i think that kind of thing is quite important um Lydia said um on the resources you have to be a magpie you, you, that's that's what her teacher trainer told her that you have to be a magpie you have to steal everybody else's shiny beautiful work and that's the thing you don't spend hours on making beautiful powerpoints it's painful um it there's a great thing on powerpoint now that quite often designs it for you and makes it look very funky um and canvas is also quite good at that but um don't reinvent the wall uh wheel no <laughs> um because it's not worth it and same same with like loads of beautiful handouts and things like that obviously the scaffolding is important my big thing is take photos and examples 
like if you're doing experiments and things like that i guess like video the experiments and then you can quickly recap them on fast forward and stuff so that if you're trying to get them to then visualize it or you had kids that missed it that were off because that's quite a big challenge i think now with with the fact that kids aren't are quite often off with covid like the kids seem to be ill more or absent more it's how you still get those kids to be involved and and how you adapt because otherwise you've got lessons where you've got kids that have missed it and you're trying to do the next bit but they haven't got the other bit and how you kind of link those together can be quite difficult yeah i i I agree uh we've got another question any tips on how to get parents involved in their child's learning um i think um there's different ways to do that i guess um so maybe holding like coffee mornings at school and I know that we're all like you know strained for time but if someone in the year group um holds a coffee morning um and you know explains how they would like to get their how they would like parents to be involved in the child's learning and show them I think that would help because most people do want to get involved in their child's learning and they do want to support them but sometimes different people have different circumstances and different home lives and sometimes people just don't know how to. So I think like maybe holding a coffee morning at your school um, once a term and showing them the workbooks or work packs that you're going to send out, um, or if it's an online resource, because I know a lot of homework is online now, and there's different platforms that students use to access to do maths or science. Um, so I think showing them, I think that's quite powerful. Like bringing them in, showing them, letting them ask questions so they can feel comfortable. Yeah, the, it, it's it's difficult, especially um, as they get older. And quite, but quite often we keep their like books at school and they have like those platforms to work on for homework. So quite often like taking a picture of a kid's work and sending it and be like, look how amazing they've done um, is quite a good one. I quite often take visuals of what I expect their homework to look like I know that's slightly easier for art and photography but I then send all the parents a kind of email especially more like when it's half terms and holidays because I want them to take loads of photos I send them them the homework as well and be like this is what I've asked your child to do this is what Mm -hmm. it should look like in case you're going to really really nice uh like places I'd really like them to take some photos these are the kind of camera angles um that I'd like them to use um it'd be really great if they can aim for kind of this many um and kind of get them involved in it because actually that that wields way more results than uh later I mean I have an art department Instagram um and I'm a little bit smart in the fact that I am um, for open evening we laser cut our own rulers and we had the Instagram put mm-hmm. on the rulers and then we gave them to all the year six children oh. and we got the year said to the parents follow the Instagram we got, we took photos on the open evening and then they could go on and see the photos on the Instagram after the evening and then they can oh, see the like work that. the kind of I lo- run lots of competitions as well um mm-hmm. our school does a parent bulletin that goes home to parents mm-hmm. every friday I, I make it a thing that yeah. i always make sure i put some kids work in that basically the bulletin is me um but yeah mm-hmm. but kind of encourage sharing good things that the kids are doing and promoting that um and just kind of make mm-hmm. make yourself visual i think is is a good one and also just to add to that hannah also um like you're getting parents involved i think we've become very like tech technology savvy now so there's different platforms so my school we use edulink so that's a way of like emailing the parents or contacting the parents or sending out like you know 
text messages um i think those type of methods work really well like you know to involve parents um especially if it's a certain thing that you want them to do or you want um, a particular homework to be done a certain way i think that's a good way to keep in touch because everyone's very you know on their phones they they use technology a lot so i think using that and using resources to access parents like that will help yeah and, give, and giving them a call because actually they're not as scary as you think they're going to be i quite often yeah. early on i thought that the parents of like the, my poorly behaved children were going to just take the sides of the kids and it was going to be a really hard conversation but actually they they were like yeah i know i know they're little so-and-sos um and and they're quite supportive it's actually kind of more when if you go in to criticize a high ability one they're the parents yeah. you need to be careful of because they're like they're like no my child can do no wrong um so it's 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 kind of gauging the parents but take the wins where you can get the wins um i would also say in your teacher training years um if like volunteer for any school trips even if they're not your your subject because a you're an extra pair of hands and that takes pressure off the school and it's and it's great it's an opportunity to see your kids outside the classroom in mingling interacting spend a bit more time with them and like kind of getting that seeing a trip as well it's quite a lot of skills that go involved in running that but you see the kids from a different angle and see what they're like when they're relaxed as opposed to being intense in your classroom yeah we are we're flown by. Um, we've got some lovely people saying that they um, really have really enjoyed the show. Um, have you got anything else to add? Um, thank you. I just want to say thank you for inviting me, um, Hannah, to have this discussion with you. I feel like I've learned a lot and um, I, I ho hopefully we can have more of these uh, discussions again soon. Oh, I, I 100% would love to have you on again. I feel like we are kindred spirits and that we teach in the we same are, way. <laughs> you know, That's every it. time you kept saying something, I'm like, I'm like that, or Hannah's like that. <laughs> and also, can I say, photography was one of my favourite um, subjects at school. I did it as a GCSE. Oh, it's, it, it's, I had a kid last year who did it and he, he was very epidemic and he, and he wrote me a letter at the end. He made me a, a homemade uh, afternoon tea and he wrote oh. me this letter that said, I took photography, thought I thought it was going to be easy and I didn't really have to work very hard um, to, to counteract my other subjects. But he's like, actually, I loved it. And it was the place I found myself and it was the place I found my identity and my voice and I loved it. I think You know, one of my... Um... My, my photography teacher from my secondary school, um, she was one of the teachers along with my science teachers that inspired me to be a teacher. Because when I saw her, I was like, when I grow up, I want to be like her. Like, I want to yeah. be like Miss Addison. I want to be like Miss Rahman. <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> but yeah. We have to bring on the next generation. He's actually going to be a uh, a primary school teacher. So he's the next one. And I did have a student a couple of years ago who was my very, very first art teacher that I taught was then my trainee. Uh, and that was that was a highlight of my career to then teach oh. one of my pupils how to become a teacher. Made me feel very old. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> well if, if it makes you feel better, like the, my form class, the original form class that I started with, so the year that they started in year seven, I started as a new teacher. They are, most of them are in their third year of university this year. And I'm just like, how how did you all turn 2021? 20, like, yes. how did that happen? And you're making me feel older. Um, but they did some of them did promise me that they're gonna invite me to their graduations and their parties. So I'm looking forward to that. 
Um, I went to a, a thing called, I'm going a little bit off piece, called Prime Evil on Monday, which is basically a scare thing. So you walk around these haunted houses and these people are dressed up as mm-hmm. actors and they chase you around. And I went with my friend who was the old drama teacher and this clown jumped over a ride and and smashed the bat against the wall and had her in the oh. corner and was banging it above her head. It's kind of petrify her. And he was like, Miss Harvey, Miss Harvey. And she's like, <laughs> how do you know my name? And he's and he was then he tried to do me he was like miss wilson and i was like no i don't get as scared as miss harvey who is it because i can't work out who you are because they were so tall and like had all the hair and it was like the quietest sweetest child from a couple of years ago and he was like it's so lovely to see you can we have a picture and it was just like just it you, you the it teaching doesn't end you're always going to be part of their life and they're always going to remember them and that's why it's the best profession I guess that's how we is the best way to end the show you were you were picking if you're becoming a teacher you were picking the most rewarding profession ever it is thankless and it is tiring and you need to be efficient and what was your um your saying that I really liked at the start um, um so resilient being resilient is to yes. thrive not surviving <laughs> yes you need to learn to thrive and not survive but you yes. will do so amazing and be amazing teachers and um yeah we can't wait to have you guys come on and chat to me about uh teaching feel free you can uh message me if you want to if you're brave enough come and have a chat sometime it'd be great to have you on but thank you so much uh for giving up your evening and chatting to me it's been great it's been great okay um thank you so much hannah thank you bye-bye Bye, bye. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.